This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, hello there! Oh, no, come on in! Come on in. Yes, it's time for another Shire Folk Spotlight. I'm your host. Uh, it's me, Jeremy. Uh, yar, as usual. And I'm here in the little hobbit hole uh, alone today. But I've got some guests coming. Oh, I hear them. I hear their little footsteps on the lane. <laughs> Look it out the window. Hello, all. Come on. Don't be shy. Come on in and introduce yourselves. Hello. It's just me and a bunch of people listening. I don't know where they are, but for some reason they can hear everything. <laughs> oh, look, it's our it's guests from the Storyteller Squad. Oh, please, introduce yourselves, Storytellers. Or should I intru- address you as Squad? <laughs> yes, hello. Hello, adventurers. My name is Natalie. I'm the keeper of this ragtag bunch of podcasting friends. Uh, we're just like the dwarves showing up with way too many of us. So let's jump right in and hear from the other adventurers I've brought with me. Uh, we'll, we'll start with, uh, with we're going to go in alphabetical order. I'm going to imagine that you walked down here, aside from Natalie, in alphabetical order. <laughs> Please introduce yourselves to me and the inexplicable listeners. Which means I always lose. (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming. I think you win. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a day. Um, Podcast-wise and show-wise, I play Hugo Rashad. Oh, I thought there was going to be more. Okay, well, that's great. And who's (laughs) here behind? (laughs) Who's here behind a day? Go ahead and have your seat there a day. Grab some porridge. Comfy. Thank you. Hello. Yes, I killed the animals myself. <laughs> oh. I'm Brittany. Well, look, it's, I it's play Raven. Now, so they're co- <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking too much. I'm stepping all over okay. everyone. Please, Brittany. <laughs> there's, like we said, there's a lot of us. I'm Brittany. I play Raven on the Storyteller Squad. Um, I also don't have much else to add, so I'm just going to grab my seat. I hope you have a lot of seats, because there's a bunch of us. Luckily, I've had a very good hunt this year. Excellent. I am Durs, and I play the demon Damien Edgecrest on the Storyteller Squad. I'm loving all of these character names. Uh, Please, have a seat. There is porridge, there is fruit, there is cheese, there's no meat, because all of the meat was put into the chairs. Uh, and who's here? Who's last, but no, certainly not least in the line? Hi, I'm Mel. I I play Felicity on the Storyteller Squad, the spooky. <laughs> I love it. Uh, oh, what's that? Oh, my accent's going. Oh, I guess, I guess I'm just going to sound like this now for the rest of the interview. Uh, it is such, it is such a pleasure to have <laughs> all of you here. Um, oh my god! Dungeon and the wrong dragon. <laughs> Full prince vibe? Woof! <laughs> this makes them even more black! Cake glitches and bitches. And lands in the cusp of a teaspoon. Oh, no! On a 
get into something real big now. Oh my! If you can uh, believe it, wants- we're one short. <laughs> oh yes! My goodness! Uh, shout out! Uh, shout out to our missing members. Yeah, right? shout out Please. to Emery. Emery is our talented uh, uh, castmate and illustrator, and does a lot of our artwork. Uh, so if you look us up and see art, it's most likely Emery. Uh, although you may see some of mine out there on the internets. Oh well, we're sorry you can't be here, Emery, but we hope we do you proud. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Natalie, or whoever wishes to, please tell me a little bit about uh, the Storyteller Squad. What is the Storyteller Squad? Okay, elevator pitch. Uh, If you are a fan of actual play podcasts, we like to describe ourselves as the 10 hours lo-fi and chill for autumnal lesbians and witchy cryptids of AP series. That is such a great pitch. That's, yeah. that's awesome. We, we, I would stay on that elevator. <laughs> <laughs> right right to the 20th floor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we use Monster of the Week for our main campaign. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we love BBTA. We're very um, narrative focused. And uh, we've been going for a while now. We, we have uh, about 55 episodes out right now. And we're going to wrap up our season two soon and then jump right into season three. So. Mm. Um, yeah, we, I would say our game is very supernatural adjacent. I've never actually watched that series, but I'm told it's similar because that's what Monster of the Week is based on. Um, mm. And we lean a little heavily. I didn't heavily. realize that. Yeah, no, yes. it's Buffy, Supernatural. That's, that's what Monster of the Week is sort of the genre oh. that it's trying to capture. Um, but yeah, we lean a little heavier into the slice of life and high fantasy and like, I don't know, epic anime moments um, than your typical <laughs> 90s Monster of the Week show, but yeah. it's still there. It's, it's, the, it's the foundation. <laughs> um, I know that all of you had mentioned your characters' names. Yes. Could you like, <clears throat> could we go around and have everybody kind of introduce and say a little bit about your characters? You don't have to go into any spoiler territory, but you know, yeah. uh, name, uh, what kind of monster, and maybe a teensy, a very, a very short elevator pitch for your individual characters. Uh, we're going to go in reverse alphabetical order this time. Oh, shoot. Which we just okay. start with Mel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pressure is on. Okay, um, so I play Felicity Starnbrook. Uh, Felicity, uh, I mentioned her playbook before, is the spooky. Um, basically, what that means is she has a bunch of inexplicable supernatural powers. Um, I will say, as a vague spoiler, we do kind of discover said source of supernatural powers later on. Um, mm. But for a while, she is just this happy-go-lucky um, kind of chaotic but very wholesome individual who like can talk to spirits and just wants to make friends with every magical creature she encounters. Oh, I love that. Uh, Durs, please tell us about Damien. Absolutely. Damien is an envy demon, which means I play him with a very monkey see monkey do mentality, especially early on. As soon as he sees someone doing something or driving a vehicle, that's exactly what he wants to do. That's where the excitement's at. So there's a lot of shenanigans with that. And the fact that he's a demon uh, means I'm not quite as nice to these people in the course of the podcast as I am in real life. Mm. So we have we have uh, an unexplained, eventually potentially explained a little bit spooky individual Mm -hmm. and a demon who feels compelled to imitate other people through envy. 
Uh, very intriguing. Uh, next, uh, Brittany, who do you play? I play Raven Eugenia. She's a, a human uh, in our town, and she. My playbook is the Flake, which is kind of the conspiracy theorist. Um, so she's very deep mm. in the world of cryptids and monsters and magic and stuff like that. A um, little bit of hacker vibes. Um, she's super goth. Uh, she's also a lesbian, but absolutely cannot speak to other women. Uh, super, super awkward, but it's just doing her best. It's <laughs> awesome. Oh, this is, I'm really, I having never played uh, Monster of the Week, this sounds like a really, I really like the playbooks that you're describing so far. These sound really intriguing. Um, for those who are not familiar, we'll get, we'll talk about exactly like what Powered by the Apocalypse is, not like in great detail, but uh, uh, before that, a day. Who do you play? So I play Hugo Rashad, who is an initiate. He's a member of a multicultural, multi-generational order, I guess the best way to describe it, um, tasked with essentially keeping the secrets of the human world and other worlds under wraps enough, mm, specializes okay. in martial combat and spellcasting. Oh, I love that. Yeah, this is uh, this sounds like quite a crew. And I guess holding that all together, uh, Natalie, what is your role? So I am the Keeper, uh, which is the name for the, the game runner, game master in Games of Monster of the Week. Uh, but I also have a character who I play on the podcast. Her name is Aiden Brightwood, uh, and she is the Divine playbook. Um, so she is a, a celestial being. Uh, with a lot of girl next door energy. Um, <laughs> she's a waitress. She loves helping people and uh, is a little bit of a, a loner uh, to start. Uh, but then she meets some people she really wants to look after and protect. So and she starts hanging out with this crew along with and I'll just throw this out there for Emery. Uh, Emery's character, Agent Whitaker. Uh, who is a, a grizzled veteran agent of uh, our world's supernatural uh, protection and research agency. Um, and he sort of fills the role as team leader, uh, keeping everyone in line and on task when it comes to the missions I set up for everyone to engage with. Okay. So you have a celestial and a demon mm -hmm. on the team. Does that, like, does that mm -hmm. cause any... Yes. <laughs> Yeah, what? <laughs> some, dis some disturbance. I don't. Conflict? I don't think none that are my fault. That's for sure. <laughs> Sounds sus. It was. It yeah. was a spicy a, combination to start with. That's for sure. Just a very well-behaved, utterly blameless demon. Mm -hmm. See, you uh, get me. Nothing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just being drawn into conflict by this belligerent celestial. Yeah. See, yeah. so eloquent. Yeah. You get me. Yeah. <laughs> So why did you all specifically choose uh, Monster of the Week? And could you tell us a little bit about uh, the game? Uh, I, th I think we've played, I know we've played Thirsty Sores Lesbians mm -hmm. on the show before. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. Uh, but yeah, we played Thirsty Sword Lesbians. I don't think we've played any other Powered by the Apocalypse games on our show before. Mm -hmm. But uh, whoever wishes to, uh, could you tell us uh, why you chose this particular game and what about, uh, what uh, Describe as essentially what a Powered by the Apocalypse game is. Ooh, Mel, do you want to describe a PBTA game and then I'll get into why we picked Monster of the Week? God, yeah. So I'm okay. not talking forever. No, yeah. So Powered by the Apocalypse, right, is I guess 
it's not quite a system, but it is a rule set. Um, when you hear that a game is powered by the apocalypse, it means that their rules and mechanics are inspired by apocalypse world. Um, and there's a variety of games that are out there. Um, and I think a big appeal, um, or at least for me, a big appeal of powered by the apocalypse games is typically like the success scale on roles like i find that really interesting where it's either a full success a mixed success or um a a failure Mm. um what else can i say about powered by the apocalypse um well, is it rules heavy? Like we, uh, three black halflings, kind of started out as right. more of a D and D podcast. Yes. we've branched out, but I'm aware that there are some big rules differences in terms of the density of the rules yeah. uh, between Powered by the Apocalypse. I would D&D say something like that. Yeah, I would say compared comparatively to D and D, definitely lighter on the rule set. Mm-hmm. But I would also say it's a bit book by book. Like each, like every game that uses that infrastructure is a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for example, I play Glitter Hearts. That, I feel, can sometimes be a little more rules-heavy in comparison to Monster of the Week or in comparison mm. to even Monster Hearts 2. Um, so, I, I would say, as a general whole, it's definitely more rules-light in comparison to D&D. But also, I think uh, one thing that a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse uh, games do very well is they always provide or in most of the time I don't want to say always I haven't played every power by the apocalypse game ever but everyone that I've encountered so far will provide like a basic move sheet which is very helpful for being like oh these are some of the things available to me that my character can do and then with your playbooks or your character sheets those add in just like extra flavor of what your character mm-hmm. can do and it's a little more specialized um also, a big difference being is the playbooks. You know, D&D gets a lot more crunchy. You build your character from the ground up. A lot of monsters, not Monster of the Week, Powered by the Apocalypse uh, games have playbooks, which are archetypes. And they'll have like a variety of um, stats and moves you can take. So there still is some building to that. But there's still like... There's there's still um, a structure uh, within the framework of like an archetype, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, would you say because when I've also played game, it seems like it's the framework is there primarily mm-hmm. to help you create the kind of character that you want yes. to help you also tell the kind of story you want. Yeah, for and sure. it's, it seems like because I, I remember in Thirsty Sword Lesbians. I may be misremembering, but I thought that there was um, possibly even the option to be like, yeah, you could also just make up your own. You don't, yeah. need, to, you don't need to do our stuff. For sure, just, yeah. But this is just to help out. Yeah. Yeah, and and it seems like it is much more of a, like the mechanics of the game seem much more uh, geared towards advancing the story yes. and just telling you how the story is going to advance mm-hmm. rather than it's like you succeed at this thing or you don't. Yes, for sure. And and like I mentioned before, like that that, Full success, mixed success, uh, mm-hmm. failure sliding scale is like very appealing um, for this game and rule set because, at least in my opinion, um, that is a lot more focused towards narrative. Because sometimes you might succeed at something, but like not quite. Like there's a, there's a catch to your success, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in D and D, I feel like it's a lot more 
free fluid unless you know the dc is like set at 15 and then if you're under 15 it's like you yeah you get nothing you know or like there's not a lot of guidance for what happens when you're like just almost there but not quite there you know and i I, yeah yeah i would say i feel like with powered by the apocalypse games there's a little there's almost a little more guidance on how to proceed with certain interactions and mechanics um Mm -hmm. yeah i'll jump in here um it's interesting that like right because the scale succeed mix fail doesn't necessarily always mean fail for that less than six value it sometimes just means miss or it means you get what you want but then as keeper i do something else or i introduce a new problem to the scene so even a failed role quote unquote doesn't necessarily mean that your character didn't do what they set out to do it means they might have done it and discovered that by doing it a new problem has arisen or they've Mm -hmm. discovered information that means well, this is more complicated than we thought. What now? Yeah. Um, right. So even like the it's, fail it's mechanic classic... is a little different in these games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like the classic, like, we're trying to pick the lock on the door. Whereas with it, normally it's like, oh, you either succeeded in picking the lock on the door or you don't. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, it's like a success is like, oh, you pick the lock on the door and you pass on through. Mm-hmm. A mixed might be like, oh, you pick the lock on the door and accidentally remove the entire handle. Uh, and now yeah. we have that problem. Or a failure could be like you successfully picked the lock on the door, but you accidentally tripped the alarm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or someone's now on the other side. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really I think that's a really interesting and in many ways a more flexible and I think uh, a more flexible way of trying to tell stories. And it helps mm-hmm. to facilitate forward motion rather than getting stuck on just one particular skill check. For sure. And there's also a thing in when, within Monster of the Week in particular. I'm not sure if it's the same throughout all PBTA games. Again, I haven't played all of them, but there is sort of a assumed competency. Um which is a a thing I've heard mentioned also in regards to like the burning wheel system um, and the people behind that, where if it makes sense that your character could reasonably do a thing, they do it. Mm-hmm. And the roles mm-hmm. and calling for roles and having challenge introduced with that element of chance that the dice bring uh, is only meant there for like the really critical, juicy bits in the story where it's like, if they fail this... Ooh, that's going to complicate things or introduce a new mm-hmm. consequence. Whereas like to take the lock example, if the characters are going to break into this bank, right? And I've got that all set up and everything I want to tell about breaking into a bank happens in the bank, then I might not even ask, okay, roll to pick the lock. I might just say, so you arrive, you get in, uh, who's picking the lock? So-and-so? Okay, sure. You pick the lock, you guys get in, now there's the security system. And now I've gotten to the point in the story that I actually want to explore, and I don't have to say that my secret agent, demon, magical combat expert, and the spoo- you know, I don't need to say that, mm-hmm. oh, are they able to open a door? I know they yeah. will. So I don't need yeah. to, you know, we don't need to slow the, the narrative down with that. It can just Doors be, don't have to be your enemy. <laughs> you do it. Yeah. Doors aren't scary in these games. <laughs> just 45 minutes spent mm-hmm. uh, trying to unlock an already unlocked door. Um, That's so- why it won't unlock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah. why it won't unlock. Um, now, this is one thing that, that Natalie, you had mentioned that you all might want to discuss. Uh, 
the topic of transgender representation in, in TTRPGs mm. Mm. and actual play content in general, and perhaps even expanding that to just queer representation in general and then transgender representation in particular. Um, I... I know that there. I know that historically, similar to racial representation, uh, historically the the perception has always been that it is primarily or even exclusively cis white men playing these games in basements somewhere. For some reason, they're always in a basement. Um, but in the obviously in the past ten, especially the past five years, mm -hmm. we've seen an explosion of diversity in terms of visibility, and there are now a number of very notable uh, queer and in particular trans creators uh friend of the show uh uh connie chong uh gm for transplaner uh mm -hmm. shout out to the the nad pod to three black halflings to transplaner pipeline uh <laughs> which is still thriving uh yeah but uh yeah what what was what are some thoughts that you have on this particular topic um hmm i don't know that i have thoughts on the particular topic other than saying that like uh, it's a reason that I, in particular, like these kinds of stories, um, because I've found that with that explosion and, uh, uh, you know, growth in terms of the, the diversity in the TTRPG space, and especially in the TTRPG, like, media and content creation space, it's drawn, you know, this, uh, this sort of swell of, you know, queer and, uh, diverse creators, and, as someone who also likes to consume content on occasion and not just continually put it out there, uh, you know, we have to recharge our batteries sometimes. Uh, it's one of the like few sources these days where I can reliably get that kind of representation uh, in the stories that I'm taking in and not just, you know, the stories mm -hmm. I'm putting out there uh, and populating with, you know, my own brain and, and my cast. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so all that to say, I don't have ideas, but here's all my ideas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have no thoughts. Time. You have but, ideas? Uh, give me a second. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my feelings on it. Is, um, it's amazing to see that this space, uh, which I love so much, has sort of built up a community which, uh, you know, is still making progress and, and steps forward, but we are headed in the right direction, um, mm. which is always good to see and, and feel that, like, the space you are in is, uh, I don't want to use the word correct, but welcoming and going to support the type of work you're trying to do. I think the fact that it's still a relatively niche hobby means that there's a lot of room for creators who might not have been able to succeed in a larger system, not mm -hmm. because of anything to do with talent, but simply because of being denied opportunities. Mm. Uh, I think that that means that like you get to see stuff that people yeah you get to see stuff from people that you never would get to see stuff from normally or would only get to see a few examples of um we've mentioned it on the show uh even as as niche as the hobby is if you look at the most prominent people in TTRPGs there is still generally a bias towards white cis men but uh there at the same time i think that be Perhaps, again, because it is still niche, there's still a lot of room mm -hmm. for so many different shows of so many different kinds by so many different kinds of people that tackle different issues and topics. Uh, and and 
different modes of expression. Like I've never listened to a slice of life AP before. That sounds like a really interesting, like most of them are just like really plot driven, tons of drama, high stakes. Like people are going to die or are going like they're on the verge of death or, you know, people are, uh, their lives are falling apart. The world could end. Uh, so that sounds really interesting. We're not interesting. saying we don't have any of that yeah, stuff. There's plot. <laughs> There is plot. I mean, but there's also uh, just many a lot of, of the good things moments. you just mentioned are yeah. also in our show. Oh yeah, <laughs> we just like to double whammy you. But I'll I'll pose this question: Are you exhausted after having described all that terrible tension and stress and all that? Wouldn't it be nice to just go shopping or have a beach day kind of adventure for a little while, just as yeah. a break, as a as a treat? Go to a food truck festival. <laughs> yeah, where nothing it's- can go wrong ever. Yeah, you can spend some time with your monster friends. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And just listen to them living their lives. Yep. Yeah, I mean... And then the world almost ends. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. To- this HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
to come back to your your other question of like why did we choose monster of the week um here's our like very quick i guess uh biography how did the show origin start story. origin yeah. story yeah um yes it was the dark times 2020 uh i played in a monster of the week one shot with my friend kyle um and fell in love with the system immediately but also immediately resonated with the type of story it was able to tell um i did a a big project when i was in college uh for my illustration degree on uh myth and how you know the hero's journey and all you know basic stuff but all my illustrations were about uh this angel character uh, and sort of this other character who went around with her and they would save people uh, from secret dangers. And the illustrations would have, you know, her fighting in the sky against Poseidon and the other protagonist would be down on a lifeboat rescuing someone from a sinking ship. And like that kind of duality of like the two fronts of this sort of narrative I'd concocted. And mm-hmm. uh, when I played Monster of the Week, I was like, oh, this is a chance to bring that character back. And then I played one game and was like, that's not enough. I want to make a campaign out of this. <laughs> and I think I want to make a show out of this. Oh my gosh. Uh, and then I picked random people that I knew. Uh, we were all not close when we first started, uh, as they say. Yeah, when you, when you podcast, you should pick your fifth best friend to podcast with. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, uh, and we all somehow tied for number five. <laughs> number five. I mean, now he's just got a lot of friends. It was, Look, these it are was some packed years. <laughs> it was the thing where I needed people who wanted to play a game, would be okay with it being a show, and people who I maybe wanted to get to know better. Because I certainly know from myself, I bond with people really quickly over TTRPGs. It's one of the like fastest way for me to make friends. Um, that's what I love doing. And so, yeah, we started the show and, and kept going with it. And and here we are. So I did something right. Um, so many <laughs> things. Uh, so, you know, 55 episodes choice, but yeah. no joke. That's the, that's the like, actual play, especially. Yep, that's, that's the origin of the story. Is that it was, it's all based on a, uh, a college project idea of mine and then wanting to come back to it given the many years it's been since college, but we won't focus on that. Uh, <laughs> but with my new you know, sensibilities and experience GMing 5e campaigns and Mouse Guard and other games, um, and and wanting to try this new system that I instantly recognized uh, had that narrative lean, um, because that's what I that's what I tend to to enjoy out of TTRPGs is less crunch, more story, and I will make you roll maybe. So um, how so you're on? I, I guess the first question I have is how does it work to have both a a player character and to be GMing? Uh, mm. I know for in some cases it's like, oh, you have the, the GM PC. Is it that sort of a situation? Or do you ever trade off the reins of who's, uh, who's the keeper for any given episode? We haven't yet. I'd like to. I would love a break. Why don't you guys be the keeper for, for, for an episode? <laughs> I see a day there. Right here. Ready to oh. go. <laughs> yep. It looks like we got two potential Whatever candidates at least. <laughs> um, the answer is we haven't done that yet. We will eventually, I'm sure. Um, but yes, my, my character functions very much like a DMPC. Um, and I guess that's maybe my like spicy take is like, you can have a DMPC if you don't use them to like power fantasy over your friends. Mm -hmm. Like my character Mm -hmm. exists very much to have an explanation when she would, 
and to not have an explanation when she wouldn't. And why is that interesting? And what about this magical world is she surprised by, given how long she's been around and, you know, her her magical nature? Um, and same with Darius playing Damien. You know, I often just tell him things behind the screen that maybe you wouldn't tell a player in, in a home game. But because we're trying to, you know, not just play a game but tell a story and, and make an entertaining series for everyone sometimes i just have to say you know damien would know this here's what you know and it's not a role it's not a you know a thing sometimes i do it at the table i think uh <laughs> you guys can probably speak to that better than i can a lot of times when i'm running things are just happening and then i have to go back and listen and thankfully we record it so i'm able to remember <laughs> everything we came up with in the session and it's also mm. nice not always being the punching bag because mm. sometimes Aiden is taking the hits for us and it lets mm. us, you know, fight things that maybe we wouldn't normally be able to fight because we can sort of, you know, observe and figure out what we're doing and, you know, let Aiden get stabbed and slashed and... <laughs> <laughs> There's your Damien the is showing. Of- <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I love the idea that like the rest of the party is like trying to solve a mystery. Like you're putting the, you're trying to like put together some arcane puzzle box. Mm-hmm. It's like the key to all of this. And in the background, poor Aiden's just like, ah! Yeah. Ah! Yeah. Like getting flown Don't worry, guys, around. I got this. Help! <laughs> I'm fine! Just getting riddled with bullets in the back. I built a soft, queer tank. Did you keep it down back tank. there? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you did. I think I what works that. best about Aiden is that she's like the truest DMPC that you can have, where she really is mm-hmm. there to be our DM and be like our guide and help us where she can without like taking over the story or stepping in anyone's way. She's part of the story. And so we cherish her for that. Mm -hmm. And she's there to like give us a little nudge instead of Natalie, the DM doing it. We've got a character to be like, Hey guys, you forgot about this important information. And we're like, Oh, right. That is important. Thank you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's uh, I think that's a very good piece of advice for any GM and just about any system. Uh, if you're going to have a player character for yourself, the the best thing is to just have them be helpful and help them facilitate stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't don't have them be a, a douche. Like don't have them be a jerk ruining things. That's my job. Uh, and don't <laughs> exactly let the players be jerks. <laughs> Your person is there to help facilitate and maybe help uh, move the story forward when Mm -hmm. necessary, either by providing information or Mm -hmm. by being like a MacGuffin or a piece of the plot that it's like, oh, no, we have to help this person. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so it's like, oh, we're just doing. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the best way to do it. I think uh, that sounds really awesome. I think the the litmus Um, test, too, right, for for if you're a GM and you have this character you want to play as sort of, quote, your PC for the game. you know, if your players are saying things like, yeah, we know we cherish this character and she's really important to us and blah, blah, blah. Like uh, to quote uh, Mr. Murph uh, from NADPOD, since you mentioned the pipeline, uh, he mm-hmm. talked recently about how like if you're making a DMPC, make them a goofball, make them blah. And I would agree you can make them a goofball, but I would also say you don't have to make them, uh, you know, inept. Like Aiden is mm-hmm. cool. I love when Aiden gets to be cool, but the thing is to not make her being cool outshine when the heroes, my players are being cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And that balance is there. And really the best way to tell if your DMPC is beloved is just ask people. And if they say, "Eh, they kind of get in the way sometimes, well, that's your cue to scale it back. And, you know, try again. Yeah. If they are in peril and people are like, 
all right, I guess we got to go save them. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's like, hmm, maybe we need to recalibrate something. <laughs> For sure, yeah. <laughs> Definitely the best thing is to just have your DMBC be a window into your world, whatever that means to you. If they're, mm. you know, if they're the gesture, just jester, silly guy who just like happens to know everybody, that's great. Right. Or mm-hmm. it can be kind of like Aiden's case who just like has a lot of backstory and uh has has a lot of family issues um, <laughs> um, and we love it we looking at you damien <laughs> yeah. oh, wait are we are they related are aiden and damien related is this is this a spoiler are they are you'll they have to listen to find out <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very intriguing. Um, I also wanted to ask, so you've done 55 episodes, two seasons, mm-hmm. uh, is it's one continuous story, right? Through, yeah. through both seasons. It is. Yep. Okay. How long, uh, are the episodes on average approximately? We usually hit two hours, two hours plus, sometimes two and a half. Um, mm-hmm. we maybe had like one episode go three, but I try to keep it shorter because we're not trying to, you know, take up. Multiple those are usually special for people. Those are usually special, like a finale or, or significantly, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. climactic end to a, a mystery arc. Um, but yeah, we've got about five or six episodes left in season two, uh, and then we'll be starting season three. But hopefully, by the time this releases, we will also have recorded some recap episodes. So for mm. folks who are intimidated by backlog, you can listen to those where we've basically summarized and performed. A little bit narration, a little bit radio drama, a sort of shortened, uh, cut-down version of both seasons, so that if you really just want to jump in with us, you can. Oh, wow. So, did had all of you played Monsters of the Week prior, or Monster of the Week prior to this? Nope. No. Wow, nope. so you no. were learning, it was only Natalie? <laughs> one. The rest yeah. of you were just learning on the air? <laughs> my, my previous PBTA experience, actually my first PBTA game ever, was Monster Hearts 2. I started playing it at like the start of the pandemic and like that was that was that was my intro to PBTA which like maybe I should have started with something else but I don't regret my time with it at all um and then yeah I found Glitter Hearts later on and then Monster of the Week so that's been okay. my track record personally what so had had the rest of you had you like played PBTA or or other TTRPGs prior to this? I'm used to Dungeons and Dragons. I'm used to a nice <laughs> long sheet of equipment and choosing between whether I want the glaive or a great sword and looking through all the spells and figuring out if I can reach 30 feet with this or if I can get my movement to be up to 40 feet if I take the right feet. Uh, so having like the very narrative focused game that does none of that was was very different, but very enjoyable and having you know listened to like you know some critical role and starting to realize oh hey the the cool thing isn't when they you know talk about how cool their sword is it's when the two characters are having a really cool discussion so being able to focus on that part of it always and exclusively has definitely been a real treat Oh yeah, I I have found that both in terms of uh, running and playing uh, PBTA games, it improves 
my play in like across the board. Yeah. I think just seeing other kinds of games gives you different perspectives on what what can work in other systems mm-hmm. that and could also be ported over either the, its specific mechanics or even just a mindset. Uh, I've yeah, I found that's really useful. Uh, Brittany, how about you? Yeah, I had, had you ever played, played any. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I had never played Monster of the Week before. I had played a bunch of D and D five E um, in a couple of like really short campaigns that always fizzled out. Um, but I found that I always enjoyed one shots more because you kind of like you throw together a character sheet and you kind of invest in them a little bit. But most of the one shot is about like solving a mystery or doing a puzzle or like just focusing on the story because you only have a couple hours and you're only going to play this once. And so I just always gravitated more Mm -hmm. towards playing a fun one shot instead of join my campaign. It's going to go for five years and you're going to play one character like, oh, my God, (laughs) that sounds awful. And then also having listened to the Adventure (laughs) Zone, (laughs) they had a Mm -hmm. they had a whole season where they played Monster of the Week in their Amnesty season. And I really Mm, that's one of my favorite campaigns of theirs because their story moved along in such a fun and interesting way. And it didn't get bogged down by numbers which are fun sometimes in D, but it's just not for me i guess so playing monster mm-hmm. of the week for the first time was like this is how i want to play ttrpgs this is this is my favorite stuff without the stuff that i don't like yeah a lot more streamlined mm-hmm. so you can get mm-hmm. to that uh get right to the story when yeah. I roll 8d6 in this game people say i'm cheating so it's not <laughs> everything <laughs> Your uh, a day, how about <laughs> yeah? A day, how about you? So, in my case, I grew up in the darkness of the crunch. The crunch is all I've ever known: <laughs> tables, dice, spreadsheets, essentially just all that stuff. <laughs> Hackmaster, advanced D and D, five E, all the old things. <laughs> Getting to try Monster of the Week, it changed my understanding of everything. It's it bridged the gap between that crunchy board game style and LARPing and getting to actually do RP and stuff and turned it into proper storytelling. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, so for you, when you were playing in the uh, the crunchier systems, was it much more fo- like crunch focused? Like, oh, how much damage you, can you do? How strong can you make your characters? How much loot can you get? How well are you using your like action economy? Are you actually paying? Yeah. Do you have dark vision? Are you <laughs> using knowledge of this thing? Has everyone read the rule book? Eh. Has everyone read the parts of the rule book that they're not supposed to read? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know that feeling. Uh, and when playing playing D anD D, when people uh, has everyone read uh, their characters' abilities? Um, what do you mean? This doesn't have the that. same stat block I thought it had. What? <laughs> oh, oh no, that kind of stuff. Okay, so wh- have you found that that uh, that the 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 ch- the experience of playing Monster of the Week has changed the way that you play other games? Absolutely, it's one of those things of I can focus less on making sure that everything's optimized and more on what's going to be fun and not just fun for me. What's going to be fun for everyone else at the table? Mm. Very good. I think it's a very good mindset shift. 
uh, for any for any group. I think it's absolutely I think it's absolutely fine to be like, let me make my character as strong as possible. But ultimately, you want everyone at the table to have a group focused mindset mm-hmm. that like they recognize, at least in the back of their mind, there needs to be like a is this fun for everyone else? Because uh, it's it is a cooperative game. And then I guess also building on that, it's it takes the shift of everyone versus the DM or the GM and such, and it's everyone working with the GM and the storyteller. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. it's a collaborative thing. Everybody gets a chance to tell the story. The GM is a player too. Even if you don't have a character. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, I can see the, the embers are dying and the meat in all of the chairs seems to have been begun to spring back to life. Uh, so before all of those chairs become feral, I need to hear from you all uh, one moment for each of you that has stood out to you in the course of this campaign that is, without being too spoilery, uh, but something that is like, wow, I found this really special, either for your character or for the game as a whole. I'm really curious to hear from each of you. Just a short story does not need to be a long thing, uh, but a short experience or moment that you've had uh, over the course of the 55 episodes that you've done. Um, let's see, I'm going to, you know what? We're going to start from the middle this time. Durs. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, one of my favorite moments in the show, because, you know, my backstory is, you know, the D&D, you got to stab everything. And, you know, I'm playing a demon, so a bit of a sociopath. So also stab everything. Uh, so there's a moment where that was what my character was going to go up. He's, you know, we've got this big threat and quite literally a very big threat. And I'm like, okay, I've, I've figured out, you know, between my abilities and my magic, I could, I can probably take this thing out. Uh, no problem. Uh, and then, you know, the scene changes, it goes to the rest of the party. And then I start thinking, it's like, oh no, that's, that's not what this game is. That's not what this character is. That's not what's been reinforced the entire time. This isn't an instance of, you know, making an enemy. This is an instance of, you know, making a friend and like trying to help this out a little bit. And that just sort of rein- reinforced things and helped show like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm character developing. I'm doing it. Oh, it was one of those, yeah. It was a case, I think, where I said, all right, here's your mixed success. Here's two options. And you threw back in my face. What about a third option, Natalie? <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, one of those I'm <laughs> surprised. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, we're going to go next to Mel. I Okay, I'm going to try to bring this up as vaguely as I can. Uh Mild spoiler that I mentioned before, Felicity learns kind of where her powers come from. And it was this whole sequence of events that she goes through throughout the episode. Um, and the final like moment, uh, once she's finally learned the truth about everything, it was just very um, bittersweet. There's... Um, some tragedy in learning this knowledge. Um, Mm. There's also, you know, a bond strengthened between her and another character um, in a way that I think is really satisfying. 
So, yeah, I would say that moment for sure without giving too much detail mm. away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that does sound like a pretty momentous character moment. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, Natalie, what's a favorite uh, memory for you from the campaign so far? Okay. I also have to be very careful to avoid spoilers. <laughs> uh, probably the carefulest. But um, there is an arc where I did something kind of experimental um mm. and it played with not just the usual way we had been playing monster of the week but also the fact that we play remotely and are playing mm. over zoom um so at one point uh i decided that it was going to heighten the drama and increase sort of the the stakes and and the tension if i told everyone okay Take your headphones off. I have these little sticky notes with everyone's name on them. And when I hold up your name, put your headphones on and come back into the call. But everyone get off right now. And so everyone took their headphones off. And then I would just hold up names. And that person would come in and I'd run a scene with them. And I'd say, all right, get off. And I'd hold up another name. And then that person would come on. Sometimes I'd hold up two names. Sometimes I'd hold up three names. And it just... And... We have this thing uh, when we play called the F-Chat. Uh, it's a mechanic we've sort of adopted where when playing, in order to avoid too much crosstalk, too much table talk or jokes that would like interrupt a dramatic scene or even a, a silly scene, but there's just not enough time to fit it all in, we type it out and, and do it off to the side. And then I'll go back and laugh and you know experience all those sort of live reactions after the, the session. And... I don't think that chat was more explosively full of theories and people trying to read my lips as I'm like, oh, she leaned forward. Is she doing a villain voice right now? That's definitely a villain face. Oh, wait, what's this now? She's like, <laughs> it was absolutely horrifying and amazing <laughs> to sit there and watch your friends and try to see what was going on and sit there knowing you could put your headphones on, but that spoils mm -hmm. the game. Mm. It's not like you you didn't just have to it's not like when you're playing in person and they're like, "Oh, please come talk to me outside." Cuz I've seen that right. before. Mm -hmm. You can see it. Yeah. You just can't hear it. You're just sitting there like <laughs> We were watching from behind soundproof. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and it was awesome. Dangled in front of your face. Oh, that's wonderful. So I love I'm, that. I'm proud of that moment as a as a game runner and, and a production I think person. My, <laughs> I think my favorite part about all of that is that was over two separate mm. sessions. And so there was a week in between. Mm. And when we started the second one, Natalie assumed we all kind of knew what was going on. None of us told each other during that week what happened in our secret scenes because they were secret. Wow. <laughs> you yeah. respected the integrity of the story. Really? Yep. <laughs> tell each other yeah, yeah. I, love it. I love it it was too important <laughs> we couldn't break the illusion it was so cool oh that's great um ade what is a favorite moment for you see the issue is that's what i would have picked because, <laughs> oh! because along with just the actual playing of it seeing how people were able to play their characters slightly i wouldn't say differently than they normally would but they pulled out things of the characters that we normally wouldn't get to see. I guess a different one is mm. a game that no longer exists where we had a holiday game and it subverted <laughs> right. our expectations of what was supposed to happen entirely. And then it got deleted accidentally. 
Oh, it's our lost, lost holiday forever. special. We lost the entire. Thing. Oh, I, I can't remember if we day. talked about this it, when we when we spoke, Natalie. But we have a lost holiday special. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah, that also attempted to subvert what you would expect from a holiday special. Sounds uh, like a curse to me. It's like a rite of passage. We couldn't even be mad once we found out it was gone forever. We were like, well, it's part of the lore now. It's one of those things where you can't run the session again. The the conceit, the you know, the, yeah. the song is over. So when we the same. Exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah, same for us. We have it. It exists. It is on our Patreon. The audio quality is terrible, which is why it was never <laughs> fully released. If you are on the Patreon, you should be able to find it somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, it. Yeah, I know that feeling. It's <laughs> it's it was a lot. Of, it's a lot of fun to play. And then it's like, huh. It's just well, for us. Some things are yeah, just I, for you and your crew. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, Brittany. What is a favorite memory of yours then? Uh, I think one of my favorite memories is pretty early on in the in the campaign where I, I don't really have much background in role playing. Um, pretty much everybody else on the cast has some background in like LARPing and lots more TTRPG stuff than I do. And I was really coming into this without a ton of experience, feeling very out of my depth. And just being a few sessions in and getting into like an argument with another character that was like, our characters were really going at it, but both of us in the webcam were like giving each other <laughs> thumbs up and like, yeah, yeah, tell me more, come on, keep going. And then both of us being so mad at each other in character and it sounding really convincing, mm -hmm. but us as players like, yes, keep going, give me more. It was so cool to just really feel so immersed in the character that I had never really gotten to experience before in at other tables and just to have that trust to be able to argue, but it's not serious and it's like, it's mm -hmm. okay. Uh, it was so cool to be like, this is what everyone's talking about. This is why all of these people love really like role play heavy games. I get it yeah. now. <laughs> Those are some of the best moments is when everybody's super into it. But at the same time, everybody's mm -hmm. cool. Like everybody's emotionally fine. Everyone's all on the same yeah, page. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's like, yeah, this is great. And at the same time, like, I'm going to tear out your guts. <laughs> like yeah, in the moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm hmm. Oh, that's so wonderful. Well, uh, uh, I'm, oh, my, my, my voice is coming back. What's this? Oh, oh boy, <laughs> my accent. It's come back upon me. Okay, well, I, I suppose that's the signal. I can see the, the chairs beginning to twitch. I can smell the feralness in the air. Oh, my, my, my voice is going to... Oh, well, Mr. Cobb, <laughs> I oh think boy. we might as well get ourselves back on the road. Yes, but Natalie and the rest of the crew, before you go, please tell us, tell everyone, where can they find you and your show? Get out of here, Siri and McKellen. We are the Storyteller <laughs> Squad. <laughs> you can find us on uh, most social media at Story Squad Cast, um, whichever one still exists by the time this one comes out and people are using. Uh, we have our website, thestorytellersquad.com. And we are everywhere you listen to podcasts. So if you're listening to this show and you are, uh, look us up. We'd love for you to join us for some some lo-fi slice of life adventures with epic scary things sometimes. I have one last question before you go. Is there the studying girl uh, from the lo-fi videos? Is she, does she make an appearance in the campaign? It's Raven. <laughs> oh, it's a bit split between go. Raven and Aiden, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. 
Excellent. That's all I needed to know. I'm sold. Now be gone with ye. Thank you for coming by. But Yar, get out. Get out now. Go. All right. All right bye. Thanks all for right, having okay, us, bye. halflings. Thank you. <laughs> it's for your own safety. The chairs are getting feral. Down, boys. Down. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.